Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Daniel was bowing before mighty King Nebuchadnezzar. And I think Daniel wasn't there alone. Remember, Arioch, the head of the guards, brought him in, but I also think he brought with him his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The reason I think that is throughout this passage there in Daniel chapter 2, he keeps using the word we. You know, we will tell you now the interpretation. We will tell you what the dream is. I don't think he was there by himself. I think he had his friends, but Yahweh, the God of all gods, the king of all kings, had given the dream in a vision to Daniel, and he was the one who was supposed to tell King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the one whom all their lives rested upon. If he got this wrong, off of their heads, they're all dead, right? If he gets this wrong, a whole Babylonian wise men class is wiped out. You can imagine King Nebuchadnezzar up there on his throne looking down at Daniel. He says, all right, Daniel, do you know my dream? Can you interpret it? And I think on the outside, you know, the king's acting all tough, right? But on the inside, he's thinking, please, Daniel, please, please tell me the dream. Please, it's been scaring me for weeks now. What does it mean? What does it mean? I sure hope you know, Daniel. Daniel stood up. He said, oh, king. The interpretation has been given to me, not because I'm smarter or wiser, though he really was, but not because I'm smarter or wiser than the Babylonian magicians and astrologers. But it's been given to me for these men's sake. And I think he's pointing at Abednego and Shadrach and Meshach. And and he's probably thinking of all the other Chaldeans and magicians that would be killed if he gets this wrong. But this dream, he says there in verse 30, has been given to me. For these men's sake, and that you might know the thoughts of your heart, the thoughts in your head, O king. And he said, all right, king, this is what you dreamt. You can imagine the king leans leans forward, and Daniel takes a deep breath. If I get this wrong, we're dead, but I trust Yahweh. I know what he told me is true. And he speaks for it. He says, king, what you saw was a great image, a splendorous image, an awesome image. He keeps using these words of splendor and majestic. Now, when you think of the word image, you could also think of this big, huge statue that stood before you in King Nebuchadnezzar. You were looking up at it, and you saw that its head was of beautiful gold. 
And then you look down and its arms and chest were of silver, a beautiful silver. And then you saw that its its middle part and its stomach and its thighs were were of bronze. Then you looked down and you saw that its legs, its legs were made out of iron. And then you saw its feet. And its feet were made of a mixture of bronze and iron. And they looked a little wobbly. This is the oddest statue in the world. You know, bronze on top of iron and gold all the way at the top of the head and silver. But those feet, they don't look too strong. And then, King, you saw a stone that was hewn, as it says, without hands. And I can imagine, King, you saw the stone start to roll towards this image, the statue. And it hit the feet of the statue. And those wobbly feet, the ones made out of iron and bronze, they broke. Down came this image. Down came this statue. And it all... I can imagine Daniel threw in some noises. It all fell apart and broke into little pieces. And then the wind blew whole statue, that whole image, was blown away like the chaff in the wind. And you separate grain from its stalk, all that stuff you don't need, it's gone. So was the statue. And then, King, this stone, it began to grow and grow and grow until it became a mountain, and this mountain filled the whole earth. And that's your dream, King. That's what you saw. I can imagine King Nebuchadnezzar, his jaw dropped on the ground. What? He got it exactly right. He's thinking in his head. And now he's thinking, well, what's the interpretation? And then, Daniel leans forward and says, all right, here's the interpretation, O king. Here's what this dream means. And he says, it's most important, he says in verse 37, he says, for the God of heaven, the God of heaven, he right away gives all the glory to Yahweh, the God of heaven. He says, You, O king, are a king of kings, but you know who's given you all this wealth and all this splendor and all this power? It's God. And specifically, it's the God of heaven. And he says there in verse 37, he has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And you're that head of this statue, of this image. You're that gold head. And you're going to rule, and you're going to rule in power and majesty. But then after you, there's going to come another kingdom, a little more inferior. Gold is awesome, and silver is awesome too, but not as fancy as gold. And so, you know, there's going to come this other kingdom that's going to rise up. And then a third kingdom after that is going to rise up, made a represented by the bronze and it's going to rule over all the earth and then finally a fourth kingdom strong as iron and it's going to be one of the largest kingdoms ever and it's going to 
shatter in pieces, it says there in verse 40. Everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. And then finally after that will come another kingdom made up a little bit of the iron and a little bit of the bronze. But one day, one day, in the days when those kings are all set up and ready to go, one day, the God of heaven, he's going to set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And as much, it says in verse 45, as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and then it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. Then he says this, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. And then he says, this dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. You can imagine at that point, Daniel just drops the mic and walks away. Or he pantomimes dropping a mic and walking away. And the king says, You're right. That is exactly right. Oh, thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much for telling me this dream. Then he says something really interesting in verse 47 of Daniel chapter 2. He says, Truly now I know that your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets since you could reveal the secret. Think about that. He knows Daniel worships this Jewish God, not Marduk, not the Babylonian deities. He worships Yahweh. He says, I still believe in my God, but your God is the God of all gods. He's the Lord of all kings. He is sovereign over everything. Thank you, Daniel. And he gives Daniel charge. He puts him head over all the other Chaldean magicians, all the other magistrates. He gives them a whole area there. He puts him in charge over the province of Babylon. And everybody underneath him has to report to Daniel. He raises this this Jewish slave hauled in from another country raises him to basically second in command, top of the top. Well, Daniel, like a good friend, then in verse 49 says, Hey, king, could Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, could they have some spots too? You know, they're, they're really good. They're smart. They, they, they end at top of the class too, you know. And so the king says, All right. And because Daniel followed Yahweh, trusted in him. This pagan king saw the beauty and majesty of his God and said, I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to put you practically second in command. And I'm going to reward your friends too. And yay, you know, everybody's happy. Great story. Awesome ending. <laughs> but no. No. Because do you think that made the men and women who were Babylonian and maybe fought alongside King Nebuchadnezzar, 
had risen to a level of prominence in the kingdom. Do you think that made them happy to see this Jewish exile, this the, this 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 person that they brought in from who's who's not even Babylonian raised above them? No, that didn't make him happy at all. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he was thinking, yeah, this Yahweh is amazing. And and the interpretation of this dream is amazing. But so you're going to see King Nebuchadnezzar was an arrogant, prideful fool because I think he began to think, hey, at the top of that was that gold head. And that's me. That's me. And he began to think, I'm going to build this image, except I'm not going to build that whole image of bronze and silver. No, no, that'd be too tough. I am going to build a statue of gold and of worship to the greatest man on earth, practically God himself. Who could that be? Hey, you know what? It's me. I'm going to start to build a worship and religion to myself. And so... It says there in Daniel chapter 3 that King Nebuchadnezzar, he starts to build a massive statue in the plain of Dura, D-U-R-A, the plain of Dura. The word plain there means a flat area surrounded by mountains. And they have found this flat area with this big base made out of stone right next to Babylon. And they think this might have been it. So imagine a wide open space for miles flat, surrounded by mountains. And maybe you see off in the distance, the city of Babylon. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar begins to build a beautiful golden statue that is 90 feet tall and nine feet at the base. So imagine that, 90 feet tall. Imagine like an eight-story building. That's how high this was. But it's only nine feet wide. Now, if you look at that architecturally, right, it's going to topple over 90 feet high and only nine feet wide. That's not too stable. So some people think if that was the dimension of the statue, maybe the 90 feet high was a pretty skinny statue. Others believe it was perfect dimensions for an obelisk. And they think that maybe King Nebuchadnezzar was influenced by the obelisks he saw in Egypt. And maybe he inscribed all his glorious deeds on this obelisk. The statue would not have been made out of pure gold. It says an image of gold and probably gold leaf over wood or gold leaf over stone. They would put gold leaf on the outside of these things. So some people think this is the perfect dimensions for this beautiful obelisk with all his deeds and wonderful things written on it and others say no this is truly an image a statue 90 feet high nine feet wide but it was put on a base a big brick base or a big wooden pedestal of some kind that would raise it up and then it would give it extra strength so it could be that high i don't know which one i believe but you know what i do believe King Nebuchadnezzar set it up to worship him. And he started building this beautiful statue because he wanted everybody to come and honor and he wanted to start this beautiful worship of him. What an arrogant thing. 
after he had just seen what this God Yahweh had done and what this God Yahweh has prophesied in his life and he thinks, well, hey, I'm going to glorify myself at the end of all this. What an arrogant man, but he builds this massive statue. And then he calls all the magistrates and all the officials and all the satraps, it says, which is basically a fancy word for officials and all the judges. He basically calls everybody from his whole kingdom, which would have taken weeks for some of these men to travel there. And they finally all gathered on this plain of Dura. And we're talking hundreds and thousands of people. And in the middle of all that, people staring up at this statue is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel doesn't actually show up in Daniel chapter 3. Now, he might have been off on the king's business and maybe he wasn't there. Or maybe he was so important that nobody would ever accuse him of anything. Because in Daniel chapter 3, we do know for sure who was there staring at the statue. We do know for sure it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then all of a sudden, I can imagine the king is sitting there on a platform next to the statue in his royal throne with all his royal entourage with him. And then the chief herald steps forward onto a large platform and he maybe puts a big megaphone to his mouth and he blurts out for everybody to hear, hey, listen, when you hear the sound of the harp, of the flute, of the psaltery, when you hear all kinds of music, he says, you, and he's yelling to these hundreds of thousands of people, all arraigned before the statue, all standing there in the plain of Dura. He says, hey, you guys, listen, when you hear all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. When you hear that music, fall down to your face and worship King Nebuchadnezzar and whoever does not fall down. Whoever does not bow, whoever does not worship, shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And I think he took his big arm and pointed off to the right. And everybody looked over. And they saw this massive kiln. Because you know what? They had to build this statue out of something. And I think to the left, they had this beautiful gold statue. And a little bit in the distance, they had this fiery furnace off to the right. I call it a kiln. It was probably made of bricks. And inside this, they would pump coal and they would pump wood. And, and then they would have various holes that would open to let in air. And they would get that furnace burning so hot that they could melt gold into whatever shape they wanted it to be, melt silver, you know, whatever shape they wanted it to be. They could build bricks for this inside and then get all the gold nicely laid so then they could put it across the bricks, you know, or whatever they're building it out of. They had to have this fiery furnace to make the statue. And you can imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they look over there. And they look at the statue, 
And I look at this fiery furnace with flames leaping out. Maybe they shudder. Because they can imagine. If they don't worship this, this, this image, this statue, they're going to be thrown into that thing. Then they think, but we don't worship King Nebuchadnezzar. We only worship one true God. We worship Yahweh, and that is it. We don't worship anybody else. So the, the chief herald, he walks back to the podium. You can imagine the king snaps his fingers. The choir director, you know, the symphony director, the band director, whatever you want to call him, he taps his baton on the podium, tap, 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 and he raises his hand, and then... The psaltery starts, the, the harp, the flute, the horns... They all start playing in all kinds of music. In comes a guitar. In comes a banjo. In comes whatever it happens to be that they were playing. It says lyre there. It's like a plucked instrument. Not with a pick, but with your fingers. Harps and drums. All this starts playing and the horn blows. And in the middle of this beautiful plain, in front of this majestic statue... Everybody starts to fall to their knees. That person, that person, that person. In unison, they all fall to their knees to bow and worship this beautiful statue. And if you looked out across all this plain, the king Nebuchadnezzar must have been very proud. They were all worshiping him. Look at him. They're all bowed down. Maybe he's too busy smiling about himself, looking at the beautiful statue, hearing all that beautiful music. He's too busy to notice. Way off in the distance, three men are not bowing. They're standing up. They haven't bowed at all. I can imagine somebody's next to him. Hey, guys, guys, shh, they're playing the music. You're supposed to bow. Bow, get down here. Get down here. You're going to get in trouble. Get down here. You know, can't you hear the music? Somebody else says, it sounds horrible. Do you hear that French horn? My goodness, it's bad. Come on, come on. And then the harmonica, what are they thinking? Who puts a harmonica and a French horn together? Hey, get down here. Bow. Imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, no way. We're not bowing. So the music stops and everybody stands up and maybe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are looking around and, hey, we're still alive. We didn't bow down. We remain true to our God. Because remember, that's I said last week, the one thing you can learn from Daniel, resolving your heart to not worship any other God but Yahweh. And in our modern context, if you know the Lord is your Savior, you should not worship any other God but Jesus. These men should not have bowed, no matter what the authority told them to do, and they didn't. And maybe they thought, hey, I think we got away with it. And maybe after a speech or two, you know, maybe they all sat down and had a bit of lunch and they got back up and then the whole bunch of them dispersed. And I bet a lot of them are thinking, what was that for? I, 
I came all the way from Egypt for that. I came all the way from Macedonia for that. What in the world was that about? Maybe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went back. Maybe Daniel was there, and he was with that whole entourage, and he didn't bow at all. And maybe the king was like, ah, he interprets dreams pretty good. I'm not going to hold him accountable. Or like I said, maybe he wasn't there at all. But I do know with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, somebody did see him. Some people did see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow. Remember, like I said earlier, do you think the Babylonians were happy that these Jewish exiles were raised above them, put in charge over them? Do you think that made them happy? No, and there were men in that court who were looking for ways to bring them down. And maybe they thought it's too early to take out Daniel. He's got too much power. I better not touch him. King Nebuchadnezzar loves him, but we can take out his three lackeys is probably what they called them. The three other Jews, we can take them down. You know what? They didn't bow. Let's go tell the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow. And like little snitches, they all ran to the king. It says there in Daniel chapter 3. And they said, oh, king, live forever. Hey, you know, when you made that rule that everybody should bow when they heard that awful, I mean, mean, awesome music. Remember that king? And the king's like, yeah, I made that decree. And it's funny, in Daniel chapter 3, they keep repeating, when the lyre, the psaltery, all kinds of music. When the lyre, the psaltery, all kinds of music. When the horns play, all kinds of music. When all this music plays, I think it was a pretty important thing to King Nebuchadnezzar. When the music plays, bow. Yeah, what about it? Well, these men say, King, there were some who didn't bow. (gasps) King Nebuchadnezzar stood up. What? Remember, he's a prideful, arrogant, know-it-all who thinks he's the most powerful man in the world. Three men didn't bow to me. Who were they? And these men, (laughs) they're rubbing their hands together. Yes, we got them. It was those Jews, and he specifically calls them out. In verse 12 of chapter 3, there are certain Jews whom you've set over provinces. They've got power in your kingdom. But those Jews, they didn't bow. King Nebuchadnezzar was like, who was it? And they're like, yes, we got them. They were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king, it says in Daniel chapter 3, the king became enraged. He was so furious. He was so angry. He says, bring them to me right now. It says the countenance of his face so completely changed. He was furious. And in comes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I can imagine they're throwing down in front of the king. Their arms are tied. And the men who told on him, they are thinking, hey, we've got him now. King maybe makes him stand up and says, is it true you didn't bow? And I think it's because he knew all the good things he'd done for them with Daniel. Maybe he was a little afraid of Daniel. I don't know. But he says, okay, I'm going to give you one chance. One chance, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When you hear that music play, I want you to bow down before my statue. Bow down and worship me. Think about it. If you guys don't bow before me, I'm going to throw you into that fiery furnace. And, you know, it's painful in there. It's hot. You're going to 
Fern? Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they shake their head and they say, we're not afraid, king. We serve the one true God, and we know that if you throw us into that fiery furnace, that God, Yahweh, he'll rescue us. He'll protect us. And the king thinks, oh, yeah, and I can imagine the king says to them, no one stands before me. (laughs) Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? You should shudder and be afraid of me. I'm the most powerful man on this planet. Nothing's going to protect you in there. I can do what I want. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, We can't bow before you. We only have one God, Yahweh. And Yahweh is whom we serve. And he is able to deliver us from that fiery furnace. And he can deliver us from your hand. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say something really interesting. They say, You know what, king? If our God chooses not to save us from the fiery furnace, king, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. I think our God is going to rescue us out of your hand, out of that fiery furnace, but if not, I'd rather worship Yahweh. I'd rather do what is right. If I die in that fiery furnace, if I die at your hand, it's still better to choose Yahweh. It's still better to choose the one true God. When King Nebuchadnezzar heard that, he became even angrier. He became even more furious. And I can imagine he tore off his crown threw it on the floor, tore off his shirt, ripped his robes. And, you know, he was like, ah, oh, he kicked the cat, hit the dog. He was mad. And he said, hey, furnace keeper, turns to the guy next to him. I want you to crank the heat up on that furnace to seven times the normal heat. The furnace keeper is like, uh, king, that, that's pretty hot right now. Can you imagine if we put it up? It's going to, it might kill some of the people. I don't care. Do it seven times. It might crack the furnace. I don't care. Seven times. Do it. So off runs the furnace keeper and he starts to open doors to let in more air, throw in more fuel, turns the dial all the way up to super max, hotter than hot, 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 seven times. And all this fire is burning. And then it says they grabbed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the very clothes they were wearing in their turbans, in their coats. It says they bound them up, tied them with ropes. Now remember, they're going to throw them into the furnace. You know, why do you have to tie hands and legs if somebody's about to be thrown into a furnace? It's not like all of a sudden the fire's going to burn the ropes and they can get out or something like that. No, I mean... The minute you hit that fire, boom, you're dead. Well, the reason they did that is because they didn't want them to struggle. They didn't want them to fight on the way to the furnace. And they bound all three. And then it says, mighty men of the army, the best of the best, the strong general, maybe a, a strong sergeant, one of the best fighting men of his army, 
two or three of them start pushing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego towards that fiery furnace. And I can imagine, you know, maybe they pick them up because they bound their feet and they start to lug them towards that fiery furnace. And then they start to go up these steps one at a time. One's got one of them. The other's got the other one in their arms. And they get to the top of this furnace. Now, these furnaces were probably slightly rounded with a hole at the top. And at the top is where you could see how things are working, whether things are hardening correctly or whether things are melting correctly. Remember, they heated this thing up to seven times the normal temperature. Seven times. I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's nuts. He doesn't think rationally. He's such a fool. And I can imagine they get up there on this platform that's just above the hole or maybe maybe so they could look in and but not throw a human body in, or maybe it was made for that, just to teach people a lesson, this platform with railings right above the hole of this furnace. And the first guy, he's got Shadrach. He comes up to the hole, and with the flames shooting out, the guy throws him over into the hole. But in the process, ah, he gets burnt to death. The guy who throws him in, that mighty man dies. Can imagine the second guy's like, oh, I don't want to do that. I got well, if I don't do it, I'm King Nebuchadnezzar gives him the evil eye, and he's like, All right, I'll do it, I'll do it. And he walks forward, maybe stumbling, crunching over the bones of the guy who just died in front of him, and he throws in Meshach, and wah, the guy who throws him in, he also gets burnt to a crisp, died just like that. And then the third guy, he's got a bed and he's like, this is nuts. I'm not doing it. No. And he's like, all right. He maybe takes a running leap. Maybe if I can do this really fast, he runs to the edge of the platform, chucks him over and then uh, burnt to death. It says in Daniel chapter three, the furnace was so hot that the men who threw Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego into the fiery furnace were killed on the spot, were burnt to death. That's how hot it was. Maybe King Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, well, uh, let's elevate that platform a little. Uh, let, 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 let's get it above the kiln so I don't get burnt to death. Let's get it above that fiery furnace. And so maybe they ratcheted it up a little bit. And then, hey, hey, furnace keeper, turn it down maybe to five times as hot so it's not as hot. Nebuchadnezzar must have done something because it says he comes to the platform. King Nebuchadnezzar looks in. He looks down into the fiery furnace. He's probably got a wicked grin on his face. He's thinking, ha, I'm going to see those arrogant Jews being burnt to death, screaming alive. I'm going to see their bodies burnt to a crisp. And when King Nebuchadnezzar looks down, when he looks down into the fiery furnace, he sees something that would take his breath away. <gasps> you know what he saw? Well, if you come back next week, we will find out what King Nebuchadnezzar saw. And again, if you want to read ahead, it's in Daniel chapter 3. But I do want to say this. The one thing we can learn from this week's story is Yahweh, God, Jesus is the one true God the only God. All the other gods you hear about are just fake. 
little gods that, that don't even compare to the one true God. And I just want to encourage you that sometimes if you wonder, is your God real? Your God is sovereign over all the affairs of this world. And be encouraged, no matter what the politics of the world look like, no matter what your day-to-day life looks like, God is sovereign. He's in control. If you claim Jesus as your Savior and say, I am putting my hope and trust in him and I am following him the rest of my days, if you've focused your life on Jesus, don't worry. I don't care what sickness you're facing. I don't care what financial mountains that seem ahead of you. I don't care what huge anxiety and fear. You can trust that God is sovereign. And though things look out of control, he is working on your behalf. Just like he's working on behalf of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Baldhead Bible Podcast is created by Dr. John Katzian. Music composed and performed by Elijah Katzian. Edited by Lincoln Katzian. If you would like to listen to more of Baldhead Bible Podcast, please subscribe. New episodes added every week. 